0: Silver went down on the week. That's all. Now you go to this. And you say, well, who did what during the week? Good afternoon. I'm Vince. It's 1 p.m. Your time. It's 11.06, my time. And we're going to be discussing two things on the Arcadia Economics Silver Fix with myself. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you that it's Arc- Arcadia Economics Silverfix viewers uh, can uh, subscribe to the Gold Fix at a thirty percent discount for life. Uh, let's get let's get to this now. Today we're going to be talking about two things: Part Two and why exchanges were created and what went wrong. Uh, that's silver and gold mine hedging. Part two of that, and the other thing we're going to be talking about is commitment to traders overview. And I think this is actually very appropriate because the action since then. Uh, ties in very nicely. Uh, Additionally, it was a request. Chris informed me that somebody wanted to uh, talk about that a little bit more. And coincidentally, I do this in full in depth for an hour to two hours on Sundays. However, uh, because of Super Bowl, I did not do it. So here's an opportunity to do it uh, on on a a Monday and give everyone uh, another tool to put in their toolkit uh, to manage their own risk. All right. So let's start with the very, this is a simple overview, but it's going to, you'll get a lot out of it, I think. All right. Silver commitment of traders overview. There's commitment of traders and there's the market. First, the first thing you do is you look at the market and you say, on the five days in question, the commitment of traders overview, who did what, why did they do it? And what did the market do? And you look at the chart and you say, you don't look day by day here. You say right now, you say, The market started here and closed there. It's bearish for the week. Silver went down on the week. That's all. Now you go to this. And you say, well, who did what during the week? Now, before we get into, we're not going to get into too much minutiae, but I want to paint some broader pictures for you here. And I'll be able to do these with you more often once I get some groundwork laid out. The non-commercials and the commercials are the two types of players in this business. The non-commercials represent funds. They represent investment funds. They represent CTAs, managed money, hedge funds, and players, which are big hedge funds that you don't really know too much about. They don't tell us too much about. They are buyers and sellers based on directional opinion. They move the market. They make the market go in a direction by saying, I'm bullish, buy it, I'm bearish, sell it. Commercials. Commercials are dominated by people that are in the industry, right? Now, you would think, uh, well, not you would think. Commercials involve uh, producers, end users, fabricators, anyone who deals with the actual industry metal. And they also include the swap dealers and bullion banks that handle their business as part of their business, handle their hedging as part of their business, excuse me. The commercial flows do not always come in randomly. They have a pattern that they come in. And most of those commercial flows are handled by the bullion banks and swap dealers who take care to not bludgeon the market with them. But you know, they do have advantages to seeing who wants to do what before it happens. Last week, let's go right to last week. Last week, the market was lower, okay? The non-commercials, the funds, 2,557 of them, right, said, we want to buy it. And 7,103 said, we want to sell it. So during the week last week, the investment community was a net seller of 5,000 contracts. 4,500, 4,600 contracts. And they sold the market. Now think about this. The market was lower on the week. Yes, the market was lower on the week because they sold it. See, they push the market away from the price they want to get it done. The market runs away from them. On the other side of the market are the commercials. They are the knife catchers. And generally speaking, when the non-commercials are selling, the commercials are buying. And that's how it works. Generally speaking, the commercials do not initiate trades. Doesn't mean they don't benefit from you initiating trades. You show your hand and they react to it. That's basically how it goes. So last week, and I'm going to tell you what happened. Now, Last week, the market opened up. Go back to this chart. Market opened up here, and we're going to talk about the non-commercials. And the market sold off all week. I'll tell you what happened all week. The first day, the second day, the third day. Now, the third day is the one we care about the most. It'll be the easiest to understand. The third and fourth day, the market is dropping. Well, if the market is dropping and the non-commercials are selling, the CTAs are selling, well, you know why is it dropping? Because when they sell it, they push it. push it away from themselves right and they sell into weakness they are momentum traders they sell weakness and all the while it's dropping who's buying it the commercials they're the ones buying it now there are two types of commercials natural longs and natural shorts in this instance we had natural longs adding which is uh that's very bullish all right that's very bullish doesn't necessarily mean it's infinity bullish. It means it's very bullish that these 5,000 contracts and these 7,000 contracts are opposite each other. Here's what I mean. If you look at the non-commercial side, 7,100 shorts and 2,500 longs, right? Net-net, you have 5,500 shorts. Who sold those shorts to who? Well, the non-commercial sold it to the commercials and who bought it on the commercials? Well, the commercial longs, the guys who need to buy it. So these are the weak hands. These are the strong hands. The weak hands typically panic before the strong hands do. It's that simple. And so the funds sold it into weakness. They had another day where they were a little bit profitable. And now you've got one, two, three. Now, today might be the capitulation that ends the rally for a while, but we'll come to that in a second. So this is the, I'm going to say it, the less sophisticated, momentum-chasing commodity trading advisors, the ones that I always talk about. This is them selling it because they think it's going down. They sell it. They think it's going to continue going down. And it does. And the guys who sold it here are smart. Right, they're making money, but the guys who sold it here are copycats, and they're not smart. And those guys rounds a corner, and then something happens for some reason you don't know what it is, but the market turns around. Now the guys who who bought it, the guys who bought it, the commercials, they're in the deeper pockets. They don't have to sell it; they're just longing. it. Maybe they have business, but they certainly have more money than you. And if the market starts to creep against the funds, the funds chase it. So this. Is CTA selling and this is CTA's covering. This is a momentum fund getting in or funds. And this is that momentum fund getting out. My guess is you'll see open interest uh either be either close, either reduce or be flat today on these rallies. And we'll get into why it could be flat another time. But that's how it works. The commercials, if you wanna if you want a better way to understand this stuff. The funds dictate direction. This is like, you know, this is a rule and you can memorize it and it'll be right. Like, you don't say, oh, that sounds stupid, but it's not. It's right. The funds, the non-commercials dictate direction. The commercials dictate size of move. So when the commercials are sitting doing nothing and the non-commercials ring the metaphorical phone, They say, I think it's going down and they're going to sell it. Now, who's selling it? I don't care on the non-commercial side who's selling it. It could be a big fund who's already long getting out. It could be a small fund who wants to get short. They're selling it. And when they sell it, the price moves away from them because they're initiating it. They walked in the door and they said, I need to do something. And the commercials, their phone rings and they say, oh, somebody wants to do something. How many will I buy at this price? Well, let me think about it. And so the market starts to run away from them. And then when they're exhausted and they've sold their 7,103 contracts going down, right, then it starts to creep higher and then it goes higher. And that's how it works. So what you just saw today is very similar to something that Bob Coleman and I note over the last couple of years. And I bring up Bob because, Bob and Chris and I noted that when India was buying, we were getting these type of things. CTAs were selling it, banks were buying it. CTAs were selling it, banks were buying it. And then the market would turn and the CTAs would go, oh my God, right? And they would bail on their positions. And the banks would be like, call me when it's higher, I'll sell it to you then. And that's how it works. That's how it worked then. And that's how it's working now. The difference between then and now is you had a much bigger position of shorts you don't have a big position of shorts here right now you also had much bigger buying underneath from india you don't have that right now at least i don't think you do so that's how it works now you know if you didn't know before london wholesale gold dealers view on u.s gold sale and private ownership okay i'm not going to have as much time as i want to do this uh, i want to get it to chris so he can put it up but this is a wikipedia entry Uh, that uh, Wikipedia, WikiLeaks, right? Uh, That came out, that was, this is an email conversation, a message conversation from December 10th, 1974, in which the bullion dealers in gold in London were communicating with the regulatory and government authorities on how things were going, right? So the banks, I'm sorry, the government was worried about the price of gold going up. This is before the exchanges, right? Government was worried about the price of gold going up because it would signal a lack of confidence in the dollar, in all their currencies, but obviously the dollar biggest, most of all. And so they, 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 they wanted to make the market be smooth. Now, I can be very conspiratorial, but I'm not going to. I just want to give you some facts here. And what they realized is that When you have a lot of buying bunched up, you know, uh, it can distort the market, right? When you have a lot of buying by one person, it can distort the market. But if you have the buying spread out, if you have the demand satisfied from many different places, instead of getting it all coalesced together, you can keep the market more orderly. You'd have less bubbles, Right, I wish they would do this with other assets, but they don't. Uh, you would have less bubbles. You would have more continuity. You would have a smoother market flow. Now, before there were exchanges or futures exchanges, let me just read the summary. Before there were exchanges, they would they would price deals. Pardon me. They would price <coughs> deals uh, to sell metal into the market, and that would either Uh, uh, repress the market or the market will rally in anticipation of it. It depends on on the uh, vibe of the market. (laughs) Excuse me. So let's read the summary. Begin summary. The announced auction of official gold by the U.S. Treasury was praised by London gold dealers as being timely and highly contributory to a more stable market. Some fear, however, that should a single bid for the entire 2 million ounces be forthcoming, prices might increase rapidly possibly as high as $250 an ounce. They anticipate major impact of U.S. ownership will be the formation of a sizable gold futures market, but rather small demand for physical holding of gold other than coins after a brief initial surge following deregulation, deregulation meaning uh, futures. Now, what does all that say? It says that, hey, The dealers are saying to the government, hey, by you selling metal into the market, it's gonna keep a little prices a little bit, right? We think that's a good thing you're providing liquidity because there is demand in the market. We are concerned that there's gonna be uh, a single buyer who comes across and by doing that, they can distort it. Uh, They wanna buy it all, so they bid higher than the actual price. And that could really send a bad signal to to other market participants. And they recognize that ultimately, after the initial physical demand is satisfied through these events, uh, if you have a futures market, you'll be able to take the demand as it comes. So you'll be able to kind of like let steam off the kettle gradually. That's the end of the summary. Now, I'm not going to read all this to you, uh, but you know you can read it. You can If you look up this title, you'll find it. Okay, the dealers in London were Samuel Montague, Sharps Pixley, Makata, and Goldschmidt. And there were others as well. Consolidated Goldfields is one of them. They were the dealers, kind of like the equivalent of a bullion bank in the US. And they were raising, in this paragraph, raising uh, uh, the gold sales as coming, and they gave reasons that they thought they would be good. Now, in most cases, They stated that the action was unexpected, meaning the gold sales. The timing of the decision was praised as being foresighted. Announcement of the sale prior to the January 1975 date was viewed as timely since there is mounting evidence that much of the recent increase in the price of traded gold has resulted from anticipation of a large American demand following the deregulation date, even though the dealers themselves expect the physical demand to be short-lived. What does that mean? It means with the announcement of gold being deregulated and being able to trade on a futures exchange that there's interest and that interest is buying physical gold in anticipation of the deregulation date. People are front running the launch. That's called front running. I think that when this futures product comes out, that uh, there's going to be a lot of demand and that pent-up demand is going to buy it and drive it up. Sounds like Bitcoin right now, right? Okay, so people are out there buying physical gold. The dealers said, listen, if you accommodate this, it won't be a problem because when the futures open, this market will probably uh, not appreciate much because these guys will sell into it. They're just trading it. They're not worried about it. they. They believe the futures exchange solves a lot of problems. This much said, this is where the concern is coming up. A recurring, a recurring comment, both in, co- in conversations with the gold dealers, as well as in numerous telephone calls received by the embassy, mysterious, right, uh, is that if one buyer, or Michael, more likely one buyer from a particular country, Kuwait was often cited, decides to place a bid for the entire two million ounces, see, concentrated buyer. You need if you want the market to be more orderly. If you want the market to be more flexible if you want the market to be more easily maneuvered the way you want it to you need to divide and conquer and if there's one buyer connected then it's not divided and if it's not divided well there's going to be a uh, potential for a strong hand there that's what this says here's the solution in the dealer's view the only counteraction to the above hypothetical situation. So the only counteraction to that risk going forward would be for an immediate announcement of an additional sale of like or larger quantities, meaning come in and when you hear there's one buyer, sell more. Basically sell more than they have to buy. That's all they're saying there. The dealers with whom we spoke stated that to date there had been no significant activity in the gold markets by official monetary authorities of Arab countries, meaning they don't see any flows. The Arabs don't like they're buying. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. We're going to go to the exchange part. Because so this is basically their recon on the oil, on the oil producing nations. The major impact of private US ownership according to limited official use, limited official use, page two of London, blah, 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 to the dealers' expectations will be the formation. Of a sizable gold futures market. Each of the dealers expressed the belief that the futures market would be significant, would be of significant proportion, and physical trading would be minuscule by comparison. Also expressed was the expectation that large volume futures dealing would, and this is the key, would create a highly volatile market. In turn, the volatile price movements would diminish the initial demand for physical holding and most likely negate long-term hoarding by US citizens. That's the money shot. You create the exchange, you create the product on the exchange. And because the price is seen constant, there's a lot of stuff going on here, but this is about psychology. What is gold worth? I don't know, I don't see the price, but there it is. And so you're more likely to buy it and own it, right? But if you see the price changing all the time, you're more likely to say, Maybe not you, maybe not me, but some people more likely to say, well, geez, it seems very volatile. I don't know if I should buy it. Makes you nervous. Volatility incentivizes uh, uh, the inaction. Volatility incentivizes inaction. So if the price gets more volatile, and by the way, it's really not more volatile. It's just showing the wiggles and waggles of the flows. If the price gets more volatile, it will dissuade long-term investment uh, in the physical metal for two reasons. One, they can get it easier on the exchange and two, well, geez, it's more volatile. Why do I want to buy physical, right? You know, it could go down 10%. Why would I, seeing is believing. Okay. Um, So the futures exchange, they realized, everyone realized uh, that by creating a futures exchange, you take this demand in the U S Right? in the world, but in the U.S. specifically here, you take the lowest demand in the U.S., which is at the retail level, but had a chance to be consolidated and buy physical because they had no other way to buy it. And you give them another choice. And another choice is the futures market. And then you show the price. And by showing the price, you disincentivize people from buying physical. I don't need to buy physical, I'll just buy that. Right? And then you also dis- disincentivize it naturally without doing anything you know, illicit. The volatility scares people. Now, if it keeps going up, that'll make them scared that they're missing. So then you have an incentive to have the market go lower. And that's where rehypothecation comes in. And that's where the market structure in other areas comes in that makes the market be biased lower. So the whole lesson here is divide and conquer in the futures market. There are other things that I'm not going to get into right now. I'll give you one other one. When you create a futures contract, you have two participants, you have commercials and non-commercials, right? The commercials initially are the, the miners. And the miners need the contract. They want the contract to hedge. They want to hedge their production. And how do they hedge their production? In big chunks. They don't want a small contract. They want a big contract. So the big contract makes them happy, right? But the big contract is a contract that the retail investor can't handle. So they create leverage and they let you buy it on margin. And so now you're buying a billion dollars worth of gold or silver with a dollar, right? And if the market moves a dollar, you're out, you've lost. Leverage works both ways, right? So the big contract protects the producer, right? It, it marginalizes the retail buyer. Who can take the other side of the big contract? Who has the money? the banks and so the banks become the main intermediary for the miners the miners can't get five thousand contracts done on an exchange at a price they can get it done over the counter and then the -the over-the-counter guys hit the futures exchange uh slowly or in a rush however they want to do it anyway so that's it that's what we covered today we covered the commitment of traders hopefully that will help you and we covered now i didn't get into what went wrong uh on the uh futures exchanges, but that's the reason futures exchanges exist. They exist for capital reasons, capitalistic reasons. Hey, there's money to be made. Let's create a contract, right? They exist for for, um, uh, convenience reasons. Hey, the miners need a place, there's a demand for this sort of thing because the miners need to hedge. And on the retail side, on the human side, it's like, hey, there's a demand for people to buy it. Let's create something in the middle. That'll make them meet, and in doing that in a fragmented way, you end up creating short-term volatility, but reducing long-term physical demand. I'm Vince. That's a silver fix. Have a great day. Oh, by the way, see, silver's up five cents now. Look at this. See? It happens every time, guys, every time, right? See this? This is Momentum Fund selling it last week. I think it's going down. So now 2,000 of them bought, maybe they bought here. I think it's going down, then it goes down. They go, well, let me sell more. I think it's going down again. And then it just kind of chops around and goes down. And then someone says, oh shit, it might go up. I don't know, pal might ease, who knows, you know? Silver cures cancer, actually it does, but we're not doing that today. And it goes up. And then the guy who sold it over here says, oh boy, I'm going to lose money and he buys it and then he buys it. Where does it go? Right to there. And now the guy who sold it basically wrote a check to the billion banks and now he covered it. And now we can go down again. The question is where's the next big move? I don't know, but that's how it works until we get above 2315 or so I'm going to be uh, here. It's actually right here, right? So we get above this area right here on a closing basis. I'm not going to be uh, uh, too worried about buying it short term. I am again, looking to buy physical on a dip. Uh, I'm a buyer at spot of either uh, Eagles or brick, depends. Take care. Well, thank you for watching this week's Silver Report with Vince Lancey, which is brought to you by Miles Franklin Precious Metals, where right now backdated Australian Philharmonics are on sale for only $3.15 over spot. And you can find out more or get your questions answered by emailing arcadia at milesfranklin.com where you can get Australian Philharmonics for only 315 dollars over spot while supplies last.